Welcome to the Dermatology Interest Group Association podcast, or DIGA podcast, where we talk about everything from how to become a stellar dermatology applicant to interesting topics in dermatology. From research advice to interviewing tips, you will be prepared to follow the path to become a world-class dermatologist. This episode of the DIGA podcast is a recording of the combined DIGA and Association of Professors of Dermatology webinar held on August 25th of 2022. In this webinar, the APD answers common questions about the 2022 to 2023 dermatology residency application process. This is an excellent broadcast for applicants to the 2023 match and also has meaningful advice for applicants for future match days. We hope you enjoy. See you on the skin side. Welcome everyone um, to this uh, um, webinar. Uh, we've got a number of panelists here who are all program directors um, and we've got um, some pre-submitted questions. Um, and of course, feel free to put some questions in the, in the Q&A as well. Um, but this is all about the application process um, applying via ERS. Um, I'm Julie Dosha. I'm um, an associate program director at um, Oregon Health and Science University. Uh, I'll be moderating uh, with Adina, who has just joined us as well. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Adina Rosenblatt. I am the program director at University of Chicago. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much to our panelists for joining us this evening as well. Um, and I think we wanted to let the, the panelists uh, introduce themselves um, so you can hear from them. <clears throat> um, so I have um, Emily Altman. Hi, my name is Emily Altman. I'm program director at the University of New Mexico Department of Dermatology. Glad to be here. Hi everyone, my name is Jen Huang. I'm the program director for the Harvard Combined Dermatology Residency Program and our Combined Dermatology and Internal Medicine uh, Residency Program. And thank you for having me. And next on my screen, um, Luke, I'm not sure how to say your last name. Yeah, that's quite all right, Julie. Luke Vidge, uh, program director at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. Thank you for, host for allowing me to be here. And then I, I think we have um, TJ Patel. Hi everyone, my name is TJ Patel, the chair and program director at the Department of Dermatology here at the University of Tennessee in Memphis, and I'm really excited to be here. And then we have um, Brad Glick. Uh, Brad Glick, Lock in Palm Springs uh, here in South Florida. I am the program director. Thanks for having me. Of course. So um, we want to get right into it. We have a lot of um, questions that were submitted ahead of time um, by all of you. And so we want to try and get to a lot of those questions today. Um, feel free to also um, put questions in the Q&A and we'll try and see um, how many we can get to. I know there's a lot of questions out there. Um, so hopefully we'll answer a lot of the questions you have. This session is really focused on the application process um, prior to interview. We're um, going to look at some dates for having another webinar um, as we get closer to the interview time um, to address those questions that you may have. So to get things started, um, I think one of the great first questions um, is that we received is, um, 
how do you stand out in a competitive pool of applicants when applying to dermatology? So anyone is feel free to jump in and then um, we can all kind of go around first. Um, I think uh, a lot of it is a matter of fit uh, of how you feel when you get to know the program, how the program faculty and residents feel when they get to know you, um, how uh, holistically uh, competitive your application is. Uh, we, as, as many, if not most of the dermatology programs uh, here in the United States now, are getting away from numerical values so much. And we pay more attention to life experiences, to distance travel to where you are, to things that make you more than just a number in our book. Because numbers are great, but they don't tell us what the person is like uh, or, um, or how they're going to interact with their teammates, with their patients. Uh, what kind of a dermatologist uh, they're going to become because obviously as educators, we're all interested in uh, making the best possible dermatologists out of you guys. Yeah, that's great. I'll jump into, I'll, I'll echo what Emily said. And then also, you know, for us in our program, we've been having uh, the experience of, of having rotators that are coming from some unique experiences. Uh, they've been doing, uh, in, coming from fellowships where they've been doing remarkable research within our sphere of dermatology. We've had people rotating, rotating through our, our clinical sites that have done some, you know, international work. Um, and um, uh, those have been some incredible experiences. Uh, for instance, one a particular individual uh, had an experience uh, in spending time uh, in Cameroon and doing tropical medicine. And some of these experiences, just as Emily is saying, just make them unique. And I do think the days of the, the board scores are, are becoming a little bit less. I think for us as well, uh, we, we just looking at our candidates, uh, uh, everyone seems to have a case report and that's really great and sees a unique case, but we're also getting a lot of uh, unique uh, publications from research that candidates have done too in collaboration with a lot of their um, you know, mentors. So uh, you know, those are some of the optics that I have and what I think have been separating out some of our candidates uh, with us being a, a fairly new program, just six years old. Thank you. I think uh, most applicants in the pool um, are coming with a, a really wide variety of interesting experiences. And I think what makes someone really stand out um, in our eyes is how you weave all of your various experiences into a compelling story about how those made you the person that you are, how that made you interested in dermatology and how that's going to shape you going forward. So, um, you know, whether you've done a research year uh, fellowship or not, whether you um, had to, you know, get over huge amounts of, um, you know, disadvantages or other barriers in your life or whether, um, you know, whatever your path was, how we just like to know 
how it got you here and where it's going to take you forward. I'm just going to jump in and kind of echo what Dr. Um, Ortman said, but also um, just be yourself, be comfortable, you know, let, allow people to get to know you. And um, I think that goes a long way when you're doing rotations and so forth, because you want to build a relationship. And again, it's, a, it's about the fit and it's a two-way thing. And so just be genuine and down to earth and be yourself, basically. Yeah, I want to echo what everybody said. I think that um, you can see from what everybody's answers are that what each program is looking for is a little different. So there isn't really a specific thing that you can do to stand out other than um, what TJ just said, which is just be yourself, be authentic, be passionate about what you love to do and show it through your application and your personal statement. And you will find the program that's the right fit for you. Um, and th that's really your best way of finding, standing out um, in for the right program for you. Um, everyone, thank you so much. Um, and I think to everyone's point, um, I think sometimes applicants overthink the application a lot um, and say, well, how am I going to get noticed or how am I going to get the most interviews? And I think it's really a matter of who you are than, than trying to kind of figure out the system because I don't think that usually works. So along those lines, um, the next question for all our panelists is if you guys have any comments um, on requirements or recommendations that are used to review applications, um, such as AOA status, step one scores, uh, visa status, um, like research as far as like research years or uh, number of publications, for example. I'm happy to, to start this one off and then everyone can, can add on. Um, at our program, we don't really have any specific cutoffs or um, you know, numeric criteria for any of those um, buckets. Uh, what we like to see is someone has lived a, an interesting experience through medical school that they've explored what they're really interested in and explored their passion in dermatology, um, but also they've been just a, a good, well-rounded individual. So we look at things like research, performance in uh, preclinical clerkships uh, or performance in preclinical um, duties, but also on the clerkships, we look at community service, leadership, um, everything. Uh, and we don't really have a cutoff for step one. Uh, we don't have a cutoff for a number of publications necessary. We try to indiv individually analyze each application. Um, and we take into account whether someone had, you know, 13 publications over a research year versus three publications, but not taking a research year. Um, just because you have more publications doesn't necessarily mean you're a better applicant. I'll jump, I'll jump in. I was... I was going to say, um, we kind of look at everything, you know, I mean, it's not one particular area and we understand that not everyone's, you know, you can't be a superstar in every single area. So we kind of, you know, factor in everything and kind of come up with an overall um, impression of the candidates or the applicants and kind of have that weighted against everyone. So I think, again, we look at everything, volunteerism, you know, research, um, any significant past experiences, and kind of come up with a kind of 
you know, combined um, impression of the applicant. So I, you know, I don't think there's anything, one thing, or there's no particular cutoff or anything like that. I think a lot of programs are moving away from that. We're going towards the holistic review and so forth. And so um, that's what we do. Yeah, I would agree with the last two comments, uh, holistic review. Uh, we do look at publications uh, actually, but I think to um, Aok's uh, point that um, uh, it, it is very situational because there could be someone who's just had a year, sometimes two of, of, of research and has tremendous opportunity to, to publish, whereas those that really don't have those unique opportunities can't. Uh, but nevertheless, we will look at those carefully and kind of the quality of those those research publications and, and actually looking a little bit of way from the multitude of case reports that we get, because everyone seems to have uh, some case reports, unless it's something rare, rare and unique and there's been an extensive review of the literature. So, uh, but I echo the prior comments as well. Yeah, I wanted to add that we look at all of those factors and we don't have cutoffs for any of it. And what we're really looking for within any of those categories is someone who is um, genuinely dedicated, excited, and has served as a leader in whatever capacity and whatever category they've shown um, kind of the most work in. And so we don't expect everyone to fill every single box. Um, and also understand if somebody has done a lot of community service, for example, and hasn't had so many publications come out of that because that's just not a natural area in which publications come out. But then that person really should show, um, you know, longitudinal dedication to the, that work um, and really emphasize that not only in their application, but also in their personal statement. So I think that while each and every one of those categories is important, you don't have to check all those boxes as long as you, um, at least from our program standpoint, really show that you um, have done it for, um, for reasons of um, commitment and excitement for the area and um, promise that you'll can promise of um, leadership in that area moving forward in your career. I really agree with the leadership role uh, commentary too. And that's, a, you know, there's so many incredible candidates. And, and so for us, that's one of the separators as well too. I appreciate you bringing that up. Those that have leadership roles and take that initiative. I think one of the important things uh, that we look at uh, very carefully is uh, educator experience. So not, not just as a student, but as a teacher, because as a teacher, you're going to be thrown into that role from day one of being a Durham resident, be it for other uh, residents from different programs that are rotating in your department or medical students or your junior residents, that is uh, a normal and, uh, and expected part of being a dermatology resident. So I, I really care about uh, people's experiences as, as teachers um, as well. As far as AOA is concerned, as medical schools move away from numerical grades, uh, it's hard to judge about AOA because you need to be in a certain percentage uh, of your class, be it a junior AOA or a senior AOA, but if there are no grades, how does one determine that? So uh, I think that, and, and just one additional thing about publications, 
I think that having 50 publications on different subjects as opposed to three publications that are an area of concentration is a very different thing. And I would rather see a, an area of concentration, an area of interest, uh, rather than just numbers of papers that have been published. Thank you all for those wonderful answers. Um, there was one more question, which kind of ties into what we've been talking about, um, but everyone you know, is asking about um, how step one becoming pass-fail will affect applicants. Um, will step two scores become more important or is there another factor in the, in the application um, that might be more weighted and, and what are uh, the panelists thoughts on that? I can start with this. Um, one of the things that I found very important, more important than, than the scores, um, even when we had them available, are comments from the clinical rotations, uh, particularly from residents and also from faculty, because it really is very telling about who the person is. Um, if, uh, if people failed a portion of a step score, that gives me pause. But other than that, um, I think that if you, there are some people that struggle with multiple choice exams. Uh, we had uh, visited the topic of, uh, of cultural um, adequacy of our board exams for, uh, for uh, different segments of the population for immigrants, for a number of different things. So some people are not that great, but I, I can find that out when you are here already, uh, that, that uh, multiple choice exams are a difficulty for you. Uh, what I cannot fix is, a, is a, uh, somebody who failed a step because um, everybody should be able to pass the minimum. I'm just going to jump in. I think, you know, with the rotations, as um, Emily mentioned, you know, we're going to look at those closely and see how you performed on those and so forth. I don't know if the step two is going to be more weighted. You know, there are a lot of um, applicants don't have step two scores available and so forth. So luckily, it's not a problem we're going to have this year, but, you know, something for the future to consider. But again, with the holistic review, I don't know if we're relying on that too heavily as we did in the past. I agree. I, I do think that, as Emily has said, I mean, a failure is a flag and it is, it is a, a cause for pause. Uh, that said, I think the weighting of those examinations is in the future going to be a little bit different. And uh, I agree with you, TJ, that it is not the same degree of optic on our parts when we're considering a holistic review and really looking at the whole person uh, a, a little bit differently than we have in the past. Great, thanks everyone. Um, so I think we're gonna move on to a hot topic and that's the supplemental application. Um, uh, so there's a few different questions that uh, we received in regards to that. Um, the first is how important is indicating a geographical uh, preference and how does this appear uh, to the programs? 
um, if you do like when you select that part of it. I can start us off. Um, we don't take, and I think every program is going to be different. So I think this is, these are just tough questions to answer um, because there aren't really any standard recommendations, but our program doesn't take into account um, geographic preferences or preference signaling at the moment. Um, we haven't like clear, clearly stated that in our, on our website, because I think, you know, we're not sure if we would in the end, use that information moving forward, but we have never used that information and we don't plan to use that information this year because um, it's just, it's really hard to know. Um, it, it must be hard for applicants to choose um, when you have so few choices. And um, so, yeah, that, that's how our program stands there. Jennifer, same, same for us. And we're, we're new at this. We're, we're newer at, you know, the whole idea of preference signaling. And you just wonder if you regionalize yourself, you know, maybe you're, you're limiting the, the, the best of candidates. And so we, we, we really more like the flexibility and versatility of, 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 of all regions, although would consider understanding a little bit more about it, futuristically speaking, particularly if there is a regionalization of the interest in our program. Uh, which we do see some of that. You know, we do see some of that because of where we are. As far as I understand, if you're not, if your program's not in the region that an applicant selects, um, it doesn't appear that you, you, we can't tell that you don't select us. So it's the same as if you didn't select a preference at all. Um, so I don't, if you do have a regional preference, I don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't say that on the supplemental because it's not gonna be a disadvantage for you. Um, you know, we don't, we take that into account, but there are so many different criteria that we use to weigh one applicant against another. It, I can't think of any times in the last few or in last year's review when we were down to two candidates and we said, oh, well, this person had a regional preference for us and this one didn't. So let's take this person over the other. I think it, it's more about how many um, you know, common interests do you share with the person? As Dr. Altman said earlier in her response to the first question, it's about the perceived fit between a resident and the program and the, the shared goals and um, uh, reason, reason to tear, uh, if you will. So um, regional preference, I think, be honest, if you do wanna stay in one region, um, don't feel compelled to hide that. Um, I think the preference signaling is a, is a totally different story because some programs, I'm sure Dr. Huang, you get uh, many, many, many people who, who signal your program, uh, whereas other smaller regional programs might not get that many. So we do look at those. Um, you know, we tend to screen those people who uh, signal our program first and see who stands out um, and then continue on through the rest. Um, just because you signal our program, that doesn't mean that you automatically get an interview. Uh, we had more people signal us than we have slots for interviews last year. So um, it, it, it is an interesting way to get your foot in the door. It, it, it's like a, a blinking red flag that says, look at my application first, but uh, not a guarantee. I agree with everything that's been said so far, although I must say, if you must see the color of the Sandia Mountains at sunset every evening before you go to sleep, we will be very happy about that. 
Great. So um, just a couple of clarifications for everybody too. So the way it works with the geographic um, preferences is that there's three options that you have. You can signal a, a, a geographic region. You can signal up to three of them. On the program end, if they if you've signaled their your region that that program's in, then you'll see that they signaled. If they signaled a region that's not in yours, it you can't tell the difference between not answering the question or that they signaled a different region. So we don't know. But then there's a third option of no geographic preference. And so if you truly do not have a geographic preference, then I think that's completely reasonable to select as well. Um, but if there is any areas that you're you know, more dedicated to, then that's important. Um, and then I think Julie's gonna go on to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, supplemental is a hot topic. Um, so another question um, was about the content of the supplemental application. Um, how should the meaningful experiences that are listed in there differ from the main ERAS um, experience if, if, um, if they have to differ and kind of what, um, how does that weigh into application review as a whole? I think that the biggest difference is the fact that you can have an essay answer um, to why your uh, experiences that you chose as, uh, as the most significant are the most significant to you. And that tells us more about the person um, than just a list of things that uh, a person has experienced. And we've, we've gotten some incredibly meaningful experiences and we've gotten some experiences where volunteering is carrying uh, uh, you know, your neighbor's groceries up to the fifth floor. Uh, you tell us why this experience is the most important um, of, of the ones that you've had, because clearly uh, all the applicants have a lot of different experiences and have a lot to share with us. I'd jump in and say a couple of things, quality over quantity. So, you know, really kind of, if you're going to share something, just make sure, you know, you tell us why and what the reason, and then try and make it relevant, you know, within the past few years, you know, there's no, you know, things that you did in your childhood probably aren't pertinent unless they are, you know, huge factors that influence your life. But, you know, things that you may have accomplished in high school don't really translate well to, you know, applying to residency. Yeah, I'll just add that I really like reading that part of the supplemental application, at least from last year, that was my favorite part, to really um, get a sense of what each applicant's uh, kind of favorite or uh, most meaningful activities were, because it is really hard to figure out by all of you are so accomplished and have such a long list of things that you've done. Um, and so it is hard to figure out what has been most important to you and it gives us a better sense of who you are. Great. Uh, so now the final part of the supplemental application, which we got a ton of questions about, um, understandably so, and that is the preference signaling. I know we have a couple of our panelists here um, who um, are not or have not used preference signaling, um, but maybe our panelists that 
have or are planning on it can um, chime in here. Um, we know that each applicant gets um, to preference signal three programs. And the intention of this signal um, is so that the program knows that you have significant interest and it'll trigger a holistic review of the application. Um, but as we discussed already, does not guarantee an interview at a program. So what's your advice on determining which programs to signal? I guess I can go. Um, there are some limitations on preference signaling, right? You don't signal your own program. You don't signal the programs that you've done a physical rotation at. Um, those are probably going to uh, tell us that the rotations in particular are probably going to tell us more about uh, an applicant's interest. But if you were signaling us because you find, let's say our state's population particularly meaningful to you where you want to take care of this particular uh, uh, this particular population or uh, or whatever it is that makes it special, and you signal us that that's the, the you know that's the reason and you did not have a chance to rotate with us. Obviously, we will pay attention to it. Uh, but the majority of the signaling to us is whether you wanted to spend time with us and get to know the program more so than the signal itself. I think, Dr. Allman, that's a really great answer. Um, I think the, the one thing that I would have to add is that it's really helpful to talk to your mentors um, because they're going to know uh, the scope of dermatology programs across the country um, and kind of the goals and the ethos of each program probably a little bit better than uh, you might as an applicant. Certainly, um, I've gained a lot more appreciation for that since I applied. Um, and so I think you know, if, if you have goal number one, two, and three for residency, that will set you up for a career in whatever your, whatever facet of Durham you're interested in, uh, your mentors might be able to help lead you towards one program to signal. Um, again, a place that you might not have otherwise thought about beforehand, um, or if you hadn't, if you had thought of it, you might not have had an opportunity to really explore it and spend time with that program. I'll just add one thing, uh, which I think to me is, is really very important. You want to be happy in the program that you choose, okay? Um, there are, what, 144, 145 programs in the country. You can't look at it as three years will go by. And we can do whatever for three years as long as we end up dermatologists. You really want a valuable experience. I mean, I, I, it's been 25 years for me and I still remember my residency with smiles. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Um, on those thoughts on preference, preference signaling, um, Switching gears, uh, since we have a, a lot of questions to get through, um, there were um, a number of questions submitted about, um, you know, choosing which programs and how many programs to apply to. So I think um, it might be good to get some thoughts on, on that from our panelists as well. The only thing I'll say is that 
if everyone applied to fewer programs, everyone could apply to fewer programs, <laughs> right? Like, we're just creating our own problem by recommending or as an applicant thinking that you have to apply to, you know, 60 to 100 programs. That's a crazy number to me. Um, but I realized like somebody has to get started on applying to fewer programs and it's hard to be the a few, uh, the few who do it. Um, but I generally recommend when students um, get some advice from me that they apply to um, around 40 some programs um, and try really hard not to apply to more than that and try really hard to apply to fewer than that just based on the advice that you get from your mentors. And I would really seek guidance there um, around which programs to think about and how many to apply to and, um, and, and be realistic and also understanding that um, it's, it's really not a fair system when everybody applies to that, you know, every program that exists. Yeah, well said. I, I can't really speak to a number, uh, but, but certainly those programs intuitively obvious that, that you have had the, the best connection to, that you've had the bridge to, um, where you've spent most of your time, where you've had mentorship uh, is, is, really, is really the way to go. Um, but I, I do agree that you know, 60, 80, 100 programs, applications, um, it's a tremendous number with a, a potential significant number of shots in the dark, if you will. So you, know, you have to have that conduit, those connections, um, those conversations um, with um, fellow residents, um, with um, residents with you who potentially you've had communique and, and, and certainly where you've had the opportunity to rotate and shine. Thank you, everyone. And I think um, we should mention too that I don't think it's an arbitrary number um, that people are mentioning that there's actually been research on that looking at like the number average number of programs that people that match into dermatology. And although I don't know the exact number, it's somewhere between like 40 and 50. And so I think that's where uh, these recommendations are coming from. Um, so one of the other um, questions that comes up is um, whether, like what advice do you have for writing a good personal statement? Um, and what could be things that help you stand out in that? You know, I just would say, be genuine, you know, again, just be genuine, convey things that you may not find in the rest of the ERS application, explain meaningful events, experiences, um, you know, tell a story about yourself. Um, I'd keep it on the, you know, I'd try and limit it to a page. Um, as a, again, quality over quantity. Um, and take from there, you had to spend time on the personal statement, make sure there's no typos, grammatical errors, and things like that, and just um, make it um, as kind of enlightening about yourself and the person that you are as much as possible. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I was thinking of the word authenticity, just you know, genuine, often authentic, and and that and that shines through. And I also think TJ, as you said before, too, maybe something that is maybe not too old and and something more current in terms of the the life experience. Unless, of course, that 
that potential event was so impactful early on. But I think authenticity is, is very important in that, and I do strongly believe that that comes out uh, in a personal statement. I think the personal statement is also a really helpful place to explain uh, the background circumstances around any red flag. Um, certainly people who are going through life crises may not be able to perform well on a given clerkship or even may um, fail a standardized, standardized exam. And if there's a reason for it and you can explain it in your personal statement, that'll go a long way to clear up any red flag. Um, what you should absolutely not do is um, try to make a personalized letter and send it to the wrong program or send it to the wrong specialty because we have so many applications. We're looking for reasons to toss applications out. And if I get a program or a letter saying that I'm applying to your radiology residency program, I'm not gonna consider your application anymore. And that's happened numbers of times. And I would go further and say that now with preference signaling, um, I would also discourage you from writing a personalized part to each program in your personal statement. Because basically, for those of us that are looking and taking into consideration preference signaling, if we see that you have not signaled our program, but say there's no other program you'd rather be at than our program, then obviously there's a disconnect there. Yeah, I agree with everything that's been said so far. I look at the personal statement as a window into who the person is. You know, I, I really want to learn about you. I really want to learn about who you are as a person. I read so many personal statements that say the first time I saw a melanoma that put an indelible mark on, um, you know, on my soul and whatever. Yes. The first time I saw a melanoma, it also put an indelible mark on my soul. Okay, I get that. But I really want to know who you are from your personal statement. Um, you know, what brought you here? What brought you um, to dermatology? Great, I think that was some really great advice about the, the personal statement. And um, I think we answered a number of the questions in the Q&A with that discussion as well. Um, uh, as far as um, what I've got next, um, there were a number of questions regarding after submitting um, the ERAS uh, application, um, communication with programs on updates like new applications, um, et cetera. So um, we did just want to make that statement that the APD as a statement that asks applicants to refrain from contacting programs um, to express interest or update um, them prior to interviews. And we'll um, throw that link up uh, in the chat for you guys. Um, so with that, um, another question, and this sort of combines a lot of different questions um, that people had, but offering suggestions or advice for um, international medical graduates, um, those reapplying, um, those who have completed another residency or those with no home program, um, like many of our um, osteopathic applicants or students with newer medical schools, um, any advice on strengthening the application um, when they're looking to match into dermatology? I guess as the probably the only international medical graduate, um, I'll give some my personal experience and advice, which is, you know, coming from uh, a different country. I think um, 
having doing doing a research fellowship really helped me building the relationships with the program and therefore um, building connections and getting research and get, having getting people um, having people get to know me and so forth really helped me. So I can talk about that very in a very kind of small focused window. But um, I think as an international medical graduate, I think that's a key to, um, you know successful match. We've actually had a couple of international uh, graduates in our program. Uh, one of the things that I might add, if you are applying this year, it's probably not the time to be strengthening your application because the applications are due, what, in a month? And there is not a whole heck of a lot that you can do uh, in a month. The one thing that's very important, I think, is um who your mentors are and how much advocating your mentors do on your behalf uh because both of our international uh, medical graduates if uh, uh their their mentors were their best cheerleaders and uh people who who did absolutely right by our program in suggesting those applicants to us um, we are very happy that uh, that we trained them and uh, and that they were uh, mentees of these particular um, professors. Our pro, our pro, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that our program has not had specific experience with international graduates just yet, but nevertheless, uh, with some of those uh, applicants, and particularly osteopathic uh, applicants. Uh, that have not matched uh, uh, consistent with what TJ said, that, um, you know, fellowship programs, you know, landing some of those more leading edge fellowship programs. And then uh, hopefully, obviously, as Dr. Altman said, not for this year, but as a general commentary, uh, those uh, men mentors uh, or those particular fellowship trainers and advisors are really your, your best advocates. And so advocating on your, your behalf is helpful. I know that in the past four years, I've seen received a tremendous number of personal calls and emails from fellowship directors advocating for particular candidates. And, and it's helpful. I mean, it's it's very helpful information because they're, you know, they're speaking not just to the potential expertise of a future resident, but also their character as we've talked about here, uh, and also talking about their talents and their capabilities. And one thing we really didn't talk about thus far is, you know, don't be bashful. I talk about in a personal statement about, you know, demonstrating your talents that really go beyond the scope of dermatology evening. You know, we have very talented um, artists and um, people that are publishers that are even outside of, of dermatology and people that are appropriate social media experts. And um, so uh, there are some uh, areas that may be unique about many of you that need to be expressed and demonstrated. I would just throw in. Um, does anyone wanna speak a little to our um, reapplicants, like the ones that are applying again that didn't match originally or have completed other um, residencies and um, are now applying for dermatology? Um, I, I can speak to reapplicants a little bit and maybe just a general comment on all of these categories that are so different. Um, for reapplicants, I, I hope that if you are reapplying, um, your application looks different than it did a year ago. 
Um, and because even though it's not clear, I actually have a hard time figuring out if someone has reapplied, but if, if, if people know they are, you know, thinking about what you've done in the past year. Um, and so just resubmitting what you had done before isn't really going to help. And you'd hate to go through that whole process again, which I'm sure is really, really, really hard. Um, so just even making sure in your personal statement to highlight some of the, um, in case it's hard to figure out, um, highlight the additional things you have done over the year or two or longer since you last applied. So it's really clear to us as reviewers that um, you continue to be dedicated to the specialty and have um, perhaps uh, listened to some feedback given about how you can improve your application. Um, and um, I think with all these categories, whether you're a foreign medical graduate, um, have done another residency, um, have are in uh, osteopathic school, um, I would say my general advice is kind of it, similar to what everybody has said. Um, it is important um, who you have worked with, um, and not I don't mean like famous people, <laughs> but I just mean um, you know people within the U.S. Um, people in programs that you may be interested in because some of these programs are just less well known to people who are reviewing your application. And I think people are, because there are so many applicants, it's easy to look um, uh, or put those applications aside when things are not familiar, whether it's like, you know, that person hasn't rotated at a program that we might be aware of or has worked with someone um, who's, uh, you know, a US dermatologist. And as an example for, and we do take, um, and we have had several foreign medical graduate um, residents, um, but we really want to see um, a letter from a US dermatologist, not just attesting to research skills, but clinical skills, because those applications, uh, or sorry, those transcripts and Dean's letters from international medical schools are so different from American schools. It's really hard to figure out. It's like apples to oranges. And so we really at least want some, some comment and um, support for one's clinical skills um, with, uh, with physicians that are within our country. Great. Um, one other word just uh, for, for our um applicants that have completed another residency, check with programs to see if they're able to accept um, residents that have already done, because some programs are not able to um, accept secondary residencies. And also check if you're a foreign medical graduate, if there's any visa requirements um, so that you can make sure you're applying to programs that will be able to review your application. Okay, so we're almost there. I think we just have a couple questions left. Um, so for all of our panelists, if there was something that you could have done differently when you were submitting your application, what would it have been? And we can just do some quick answers because we have one last good question before we finish up. Uh, I'm going to jump in right away. I mean, one thing that I just didn't do when I, I was an applicant, I just, I'm more of a clinical person. Uh, I was more interested in trying to publish things that were clinical. And obviously, I, I think I'm the oldest of the group. I may be the oldest of the group, but nevertheless, um, just uh, I was, you know, looking for interesting cases and what have you, but I'm, I'm a little bit retrospectively hope that I would have hoped that I would have done some, some bench research, and I did not. So 
There you go. I admit it. I'm going to jump in and say, don't neglect the hobbies and interests section. Although that may sound weird, I think a lot of people read it and find some connection or something unique about a person and so forth. And so just don't just not put a lot of thought into that as well. I, I was actually going to say the same thing because on several interviews, um, I was asked about something in my hobbies and I had to pause and think for a minute uh, before I, I could jog my memory. So um, since you already took my answer, uh, I'll say reread your application before the interview, just to make sure you know everything that's on there. Um, I actually have a comment. Um, the The tendency in many uh, programs now, and that, that doesn't necessarily only mean dermatology, is to ask uh, behavioral questions during interviews. Um, so look through some available behavioral interview questions and things like Harvard Business Review or, or whatever, just to kind of familiarize yourself as to what kind of uh, questions they would ask. I didn't, and I got burned on one of my favorite <laughs> programs. Um, and uh, so that would be a one thing that I would do differently. On the other hand, if people ask you crazy questions, steer clear. Just go somewhere else, you, you know, it, it's not worth it. Um, the, um, we all understand how competitive the field is. We all understand how difficult it is to get into dermatology and how much this all counts to everybody. We do, because we've been there. Uh, and Dr. Click is being kind by saying that he is the oldest because he ain't. Um, but <laughs> um, I'm gonna come back to to just being being happy where uh, where you match. Okay, you want to you want to be able to be in a place that wants you and where you want to be. I don't have a lot to add to that. Um, if we're talking about personal experiences, I wish I had look through my entire application before, and I mean every part of your application before I interviewed, because I remember at one interview, they asked me a small detail of a presentation that I gave um, several years ago, and but I did put it on my application, and I should have been able to speak on it, and I just kind of froze and completely forgot, and um, so I think, you know, all, everything on your application is fair game, um, know it well, be able to speak uh, with, you know, with thoughtfulness about each of your achievements. Although I was kind of put off by that question. <laughs> Can I put in a very short plug for DIGA and other student um, organizations? They have people that are um, volunteer mentors for applicants who will help review your applications, help comment on your personal statements. Um, they're really excellent at pairing people together to uh, um, to work on your application. And this would be um, this would be a good time to um, to reach out uh, to these organizations to uh, try and. Uh, um, and improve on everything that we're talking about here. 
Okay, guys, we're down to the last question with just a few minutes left. Um, so what do you wish every applicant would know about the application process? And if you have any last words of advice. I think my best advice is uh, it's a humbling process. Um, you have all achieved so much. And it seems like every year that I review applications, the number of achievements uh, are, are more and more. Um, but celebrate the accomplishments that you have. Uh, stay true to yourself. Try to represent your authentic you um, and you'll achieve success. Uh, even if you don't match, you're, you're still ending up uh, with you know, an advanced degree. Um, there's still a path forward. Um, and there's no reason to be um, completely dejected over um, a small bump in the road. So stay true to yourself um, and, and press forward and good luck to everyone. I, I really could not say that better. I, I agree so much with that too, but as I said before, and I'll reiterate it, you know, share your talents and those talents may be beyond the scope of dermatology. Um, and as TJ said before, be yourself and, and the authenticity part is, is huge. I mean, it's very important, and, but, but share your talents, share what you, you realize uh, may make you, you different and stand out. And it just that doesn't have to be what you've accomplished in dermatology. And good luck to everyone. And thanks for having me here. I'm gonna jump, I was, I was gonna jump in and just say, be kind treat everyone around you with respect that will show come you know show through in your rotations and this whole process and probably carry you a lot further in life as well beyond this application and dermatology match process as well so just to add um we know how difficult this is uh the the numbers of uh requirements in terms of uh, everything that you have done so far has increased dramatically. Uh, the number of applicants has increased dramatically. So we realize at what cost all of this comes. And um, this group uh, has, has been instrumental in trying to work on making this process easier. It's never going to be easy. It's a competitive specialty, um, but easier. And if you did not have a home program, or if you are a reapplicant, it's not uh, a black mark against you. Okay, we realize that there are plenty of awesome applicants that match their second year round. So don't carry that as a humongous weight on your shoulders, just go ahead and do what you need to do. And as everybody said, good luck to everybody. We're looking forward to your applications. Um, I'll just say, don't take this pr process personally. Um, you are doing the best that you can. You guys are all incredible applicants and have done um, incredible things already with your career. And um, you know, if you don't get some interviews that you wanted to have, just try not to think about it as a personal insult to yourself um, and or let it make you feel um, more bad about yourself or less about yourself and just keep remembering that you're doing the best that you can and you will end up where you want to be and um, things happen 
um, things happen for a reason and um, just have faith in yourself. Don't let it get you down. I just want to say um, thank you to our panelists um, for answering um, all the questions and uh, some tough questions. And like like we've said, it's a it's a hard process. And um, um, I think this was really helpful and I hope it was helpful to everyone attending. Um, thank you, everyone. We, good luck to all of our applicants. Um, I thank you to all of our panelists. We know that it's um, a long process, but um, we are so looking forward to having you as part of our dermatology community. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Good luck. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stay well. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the DIGA podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please send us any questions or comments to dermeinterestpod at gmail.com. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 